Welcome to the Flatline with your host, Rick Hughes. For the next 30 minutes, you'll be inspired, motivated, educated, but never manipulated. Now, your host, Rick Hughes. Good morning. This is Rick Hughes, host of the Flatline. Welcoming you in wherever you may be today. Hope you'll stay with me for the next 30 minutes. It will be 30 minutes of motivation, some inspiration, a whole lot of education, and absolutely no manipulation because we have no hidden agendas, no gimmicks, no games, no appeals for money, nothing to sell you. This show is simply about verifying and identifying God's plan for your life, and if you understand that, then you have the freedom to orient and adjust to the plan. But my job is simply to give you accurate information. And every Sunday morning on this particular radio station, you will hear the FLOT line. FLOT, I remind you, is a military acronym for the forward line of troops. The name of this radio show being the FLOT line means that we're using a military analogy. A military analogy to describe how you can live a life free of worry, free of bitterness, free of anger, free of jealousy. These are all stress indicators. And what we're trying to do by teaching you how to establish a flat line is teach you what are the most unique problem-solving devices found in the Bible. We've been able to categorize at least 10 of them. And if you will learn these 10 unique problem-solving devices, you can use them as a flat line, a forward line of troops, You can use them as a defensive line in your soul to stop the outside source of adversity in your life before it overruns the command post of your soul, which is your mental attitude, and becomes stress in your life. Adversity is inevitable as long as you're a human being. Stress is optional. You do not have to worry. You do not have to be afraid. You do not have to be bitter. You do not have to be angry. You do not have to be vindictive. These are all mental attitudes, sins that are key indicators of stress in your life. And so self-pity would be one of the biggest key indicators of stress in your life when you have a pity party because you're misunderstood or someone took advantage of you because you were too naive to realize what was going on. And so by listening to the flat line, you're going to get some accurate information. What you do with the information, I do not know. I know my job is to give it to you accurate, not mislead you, not con you, not play games with you, but give you accurate information. You can assess the information. If you will listen, you can tell whether it's phony or whether it's real, and then do what you want to with it. Apply it into your life and use it. That'll be fantastic because Jesus said in his own words, in Luke eleven twenty seven and 28, happiness belongs to those people who hear my Father's word and keep it. Now, if you decide not to use the information I give you, then you can go on in life, do what you want to do, and have your best shot at it. But I call that the my way highway. And the my way highway is usually a dead end, or at best a cul-de-sac where you go in circles and you never get anywhere. That's why we give you this information, to expose you to the truth, to give you accurate biblical insight and information 
that will help you verify and identify God's plan. Now today, I want to talk about something that's very near and dear to me. I want to talk about a subject that I am actually writing a book upon this very moment. The Lord has led me to embark on a new little project here, and this project is a book. And the name of this book is A Divine Pardon. A Divine Pardon. I want to give you some bits and pieces of this new book that we're working on in hopes that whoever's listening and wherever you may be listening, you may find this appealing. And if you'd like to get your name on the list to receive one of these books when they become available, then you can write to us or contact us and and we'll save it until it's available. And there will be no charge as usual ever, no charge ever for anything from this ministry. But I want you to know that the Bible records the crucifixion of Jesus in the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. But it's only in Luke where we find the amazing mention of a divine pardon. It was issued to one of the two criminals who were on either side of Jesus. You see, while one made fun of Christ saying these words, he said, if you are the Christ, save yourself and us. And the other, the criminal who was on the other side of Christ being crucified with him, he replied to his friend's mockery with these words. He said, we receive the due reward of our deeds, but this man has done nothing wrong. And then this criminal who was being crucified turned to Jesus And he said these words, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. The answer that Jesus gave is astounding. Here is what he said. Assuredly, I say unto you, today you will be with me in paradise. It is at this point that our Lord granted a divine pardon The criminal had simply believed in the true identity of the Savior. And the Bible verifies that fact and says these words to you. Whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. This man on this cross, whoever he was, one of the three that was crucified, our Lord in the middle, and two thieves on either side, Whoever he was, that day he joined Jesus in Abraham's bosom. I don't know if you know about this, but in the Old Testament, when people died, they went to what was called paradise. Paradise had two parts to it. It had Abraham's bosom, which was the place of blessing, and then it had the place of torments where we know it to be hell. And we know when our Lord was crucified and when he finally died on that cross, and by the way, no one killed him. He gave up his spirit, the Bible says, that he entered into Abraham's bosom, into paradise, and he took all the Old Testament believers with him from there to the third heaven, which is the presence of God. And then all of that that is known in the Hebrew as Sheol, or the place of the dead, all of that became what we call today, excuse me, all of that became what we call today hell. And that's where unbelievers go when they die. 
without receiving Jesus Christ as their Savior. A divine pardon will remove you from the penalty of going to hell. Now, there's something else. At the end of time, people are brought out of hell and taken before the great white throne of judgment in Revelation chapter 20 and evaluated. And if their name is not found written in the Lamb's Book of Life, they are then cast into what the Bible calls the lake of fire. The lake of fire is the eternal, final resting home for those who reject Jesus Christ as their Savior. So a divine pardon means no one goes to hell or no one goes to the lake of fire. If you've never heard that before, if you've no one's ever explained the difference between hell and the lake of fire to you, I'm sorry. But I wanted to make this very plain so you would understand. They are two different places. If you die without Christ, you go to hell. But eventually you will be brought out of hell brought before the great white throne of judgment in Revelation 20 and then cast into the lake of fire. So a divine pardon is Jesus pardoning this criminal who simply believed in his true identity. He called him, and I might remind you, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Lord, curios, he recognized that Jesus Christ was the Messiah. You know, there's another pardon or two mentioned in the Bible. One was Paul the Apostle, the writer of many New Testament books. You know, Paul didn't start out being Apostle. His real name was Saul of Tarsus. And you can meet him in Acts chapter 7, verse 58. It's there that he was a witness to the murder of Stephen, one of the great men of faith in the early days of the church. And Stephen is known to be the first Christian martyr. From this time on, that's from the time of the murder of Stephen, Saul, or as we know him, Paul, began a devout persecution of the early Christians because he believed they were speaking against the laws of Moses. And it was on his way to Damascus to capture or kill any converts to this new group of Christians when Jesus Christ appeared to him. When Christ appeared to Saul on the road to Damascus, he appeared in his full glory, and it included a radiant bright light that was so bright that it blinded Saul. You can read in Acts chapter 9, verses 1 through 5, about this appearance. This appearance, Jesus Christ asked Saul a question. He said, why are you persecuting me? And to which question Saul said, well, who are you? And what he heard next changed his life forever. He said, I am Jesus, whom thou persecutest. For the next three days, Saul neither ate nor drank anything, as he sat blinded in Damascus, praying for his sight to recover. And fortunately for him, God heard his prayer and sent Ananias to pray with him and witness to him about what had happened. You can read that in Acts chapter 9, verses 10 through 19. So instead of being eliminated by God for what he had done to the early church, he was granted a full pardon after his conversion. 
and he went on to be the greatest of all apostles. His conversion even caused a contract to be put on his head for fear that he would bring others to this new way of living called Christianity. And you can read about the contract that was issued to kill him in Acts 9, verses 23 through verses 29. Paul, who used to be Saul, later <clears throat> penned this fantastic verse found in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. And here's what it says. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves is the gift of God, lest any man should boast. Others who have had a divine pardon recorded in the Bible are men like Moses. In Numbers 12, 3, the Bible tells us Moses was a very humble man, more humble than anyone else on the earth. And yet it was Moses who committed murder. This same Moses who committed murder, he was of Jewish ancestry, but he lived in Egypt as a free man. He had been discovered as a baby floating in a reed basket down the Nile River and taken home by the Pharaoh's daughter and raised in the Pharaoh's home. Yet one day, when he discovered that in fact he was a Jew, he watched as some Jewish slaves were being mistreated by their Egyptian captors. The Bible says in Exodus 2, 11 and 12, And it came to pass in those days when Moses was grown, then he went out unto his brethren and looked upon their burdens, and he observed an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his brethren. And he looked this way, and he looked that way, and when he saw that there was no man, he killed the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. Exodus 2, 11 and 12. That, my friend, is premeditated murder. Well, maybe you've never heard that. Maybe you might not want Moses in your church. You might not want Moses teaching your Sunday school class. You see, today it's gotten so wild that we have to do a criminal background check on anyone who teaches children in a church. And bingo, Moses comes up a hit, a known murderer, Moses. It's obvious from this verse, Moses made a decision to kill an Egyptian slave master. Once his crime was discovered, he had no choice but to flee Egypt. And he headed for a place called Midian. You can read about it in Numbers chapter 2. And in Midian wherever it was, about 700 miles away from what I can determine. And I don't know how he got there. I know he did not take a train. So he either walked or he rode a mule. But he covered that entire distance and 700 miles away from Egypt. He lived in exile, doing the job of a shepherd for the next 40 years. He was roughly 40 years old when he committed the act of murder. And he remained in Midian for 40 years. And then one day, while he was tending his sheep, God spoke to Moses. He appeared to him in the form of a burning bush. And he told Moses that he was going to return to Egypt in order to lead his people, the Jews, out of slavery. 
And up to that point, Moses had been okay. He had spent 40 years there in fear and probably a lot of guilt, living in a land where he didn't belong. And perhaps he thought he was about to be punished for what he had done those 40 years earlier. Who knows what went through his mind, but I can guarantee you he was afraid. And this is what happened in Exodus 3. The Lord said, I have surely seen the oppression of my people who are in Egypt. I have heard their cry because of their taskmasters, for I know their sorrows. Wow. So, what happened? And the Lord said unto Moses in Midian, Go and return unto Egypt, for all the men are dead who sought your life. Moses did go back, as instructed by God. But he faced opposition when he requested the release of the slaves. And you may remember the incident recorded in the scripture about the ten plagues that God eventually put upon the Pharaoh since he would not free the Jews. Eventually, the plagues got the Pharaoh's attention, and he did indeed free them. But as they were leaving, Pharaoh changed his mind and pursued them all the way to the Red Sea, where eventually he and his entire army drowned. That was quite a shock. Moses and the Jews crossed the Red Sea in safety. But when Pharaoh tried to follow, the seas closed and he and his man drowned. The fleeing Jews were safe on the other side. But before they went across, and it looked like they were done for, it looked like Pharaoh was closing in and the Red Sea had them blocked and They had no place to go. Moses said these very famous words, found in Exodus 14, 13. A great promise for you and for me. Hear the words that he said. Listen carefully. Fear not. Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will show you today. And God did, in fact, deliver those Jews that day. That was a divine pardon granted to Moses. God pardoned him after 40 years of being in the backside of the Midianite desert. Not only did he pardon him, but he called him and sent him back. Have you ever heard of David? David, the killer of the Philistine giant named Goliath? The Israelites were at war with the Philistines, and it was a very tough time, and they were afraid of fighting. The Israelites were afraid, afraid of fighting this giant called Goliath. And David became a hero at a very young age because he did what no one else would do. He, he faced the giant Goliath on the battlefield and destroyed him with a simple slingshot. Listen to 1 Samuel seventeen fifty. So David triumphed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone. Without a sword in his hand, he struck down the Philistine, and he killed him. That very same David eventually became the king of Israel. But as king, he made a very bad decision because he allowed his emotions and his lust for a beautiful woman to override his thinking, and he committed a grievous mistake. He arrogantly assumed that he could have his way with another man's wife. 
The Bible records it in 2 Samuel chapter 11, verses 1 through 5. It happened in the spring of the year at that time when kings go out to battle, that David sent Joab and his servants with him, and all of Israel. And they destroyed the people of Ammon, and they besieged Rabbath, but David remained in Jerusalem. And then one evening David rose from his bed and walked on the roof of his house. And from the roof he saw a woman bathing, and she was very beautiful to behold. David sent and inquired about the woman. And someone said, Is this not Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? And David sent messengers, and he took her. And she came to him, and he lay with her, for she was cleansed from her impurity. And she returned to her house, and she conceived, and sent and told David, I am with child. Here's one of Israel's greatest kings, who sinned against God and impregnated another man's wife, and then in order to cover it up, He had her husband killed. 2 Samuel 11, 14, and 15. In the morning it happened that David wrote a letter to Joab and sent it by the hand of Uriah. And he wrote in the letter saying, Put Uriah in the forefront of the hottest battle and then retreat. Leave him alone so that he may be struck down and die. David gave the mandate for one of his best warriors to be killed so that he could cover up his sin, and he did not get away with it. God saw it all, and God disciplined him for his crimes. But even so, David was forgiven for these terrible sins, though he faced years of discipline as a result of what he had done. Here's the principle. No one gets away with anything because God ordains even the very laws of the land. That is critical that you understand it. You know, even Peter in the Bible, one of our Lord's first disciples, made a critical mistake. He had followed Jesus since first hearing his brother Simon proclaim that they had met the Messiah. And Peter was, in fact, one of our Lord's most trusted disciples. But in the end, he denied knowing, even knowing who Jesus was. And it wasn't a surprise to our Lord because he had warned Peter that Satan wanted to test him, to sift him like wheat. You can read it, Luke 22, 31 through 34. The very night our Lord was arrested, Peter followed him to where he was taken. And once they arrived, someone recognized Peter as a follower of Christ, but he vigorously denied it three different times. And that would appear to be the end of Peter because not only had he failed to admit that he was a believer and a disciple of the Messiah, but Jesus actually observed him doing this and caught his eye as he was denying him. You can read it in Luke twenty-two sixty-one. One would think that was the end of Peter, but it was not. Like you, like me, he was simply frightened when he was put to the test. However, he recovered and went on to write some of the great New Testament epistles. A pardon, a divine pardon. There are two times we get a pardon. The first is when we believe in Jesus Christ and receive him 
as our Savior. All of our sins we've ever done were taken off of us and put on him on the cross. Therefore the Bible says, He that knew no sin was made sin for us, so that we may be made the righteousness of God. The Bible goes on to say that whosoever should call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved or shall receive a pardon. That simply means you will not have to pay for your sin. Jesus Christ has paid for it already. But if you reject the pardon, then you will in fact wind up in hell and eventually be thrown into the lake of fire where Satan and all the fallen angels will reside along with you forever in torment. A divine pardon has been granted to you because of one reason and one reason only. It's found in John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son so that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. God loves you offers you this pardon in Christ. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, you, like me, have probably sinned, and you failed. I know I have. And a pardon is granted to me every time I come to God and confess my sin. The Bible says if we confess our sin, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Simply going to God and admitting my sin will, in fact, give me the pardon. You know, when I sin, it's kind of like God puts me in the hole. I come under discipline. I'm put into the hole for a few days. I'm disciplined. But if I go to God and admit my sin, then I'm taken out of the hole and put back into the general population. That's how God does it. Hebrews 12, 6 says, those that he loves, he disciplines, and sometimes he scourges with a whip. It's never fun to have God put discipline into our life, but it's always for one reason and one reason only, to correct our way, because if we don't, we'll destroy ourselves. So the discipline of God administered in love is designed to keep us from self-destruction. The pardon that is granted to us is when we confess our sin. Now, if we don't admit our sin, then we're pushing God to the limit. And there is a time when God says that's enough and calls us home. Way too soon, way too early. And no one wants that to happen to you or me or anyone else. So always be sure when you know you've failed, when you know you've sinned, be sure you go to God and admit it, and he will be faithful and just to forgive you. This is how David received his pardon in Psalm 32, verses 4 and 5. He was a believer when he failed. Moses received his pardon at the burning bush when he recognized Jesus Christ as Lord. And the thief on the cross well, you heard that story. The pardon is for you today as well. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved. 
Thank you for listening to The Floodline with your host, Rick Hughes. If you'd like to contact Rick, please write to him at P.O. Box 100, Cropwell, Alabama, 35054, or online at www.rickhughesministries.org.